Hello everybody, Johnny Rose here for the very first Johnny Rose's World of Wrestling podcast. This is my first dip me toe in the water of the podcast world. I've done a few for other people, but this is my own, so I can get my own little opinion, my own thoughts, uh, tell you a little bit about what I've done and what I've seen. Um, I'm going to start this first podcast. I've got to warn you first off, I have got a bit of a cold, so you'll hear me sniffing now and again. Uh, my dog Max is sat to the right of me. He's he's very intrigued as to the fact that I'm just talking to myself. Um, it's it's not unusual the fact I talk to myself, but maybe this is a little bit more than I usually do. Um, this first one I'm going to be uh, talking about the first time I remember seeing wrestling, and take you up to the point where I actually get involved in wrestling. And a little bit later on, I've got a load of questions that have been uh, sent to me. Um, I'm going to answer a couple of them. I'm not going to do them all today. I don't want to bore you to pieces. There's only a, like a trial uh, trial run, this one really, being the first one. See how it goes. Um, so me, as far as my uh, first viewing of wrestling, I, it has to be before 1987. I know that because the first live wrestling I saw was in 1987. Uh, it was in April of 1987. So I must have seen it on television before then, because I know I was a fan, hence the reason my me, me granddad took me. Um, it was at the Purdyswell Leisure Centre in Worcester. Uh, great thing about that is, um, you know, I've wrestled there since, so that was really cool for me. Um, I remember exactly who was on and when as well. My granddad took me. Uh, we were sat in these horrible sort of wooden bleacher-type seats in the Leisure Centre. Uh, the first match was Danny Boy Collins versus Kid McCoy, two uh, lighter weight wrestlers at the time, and um, that really entertained me. You know, it really sort of there were there were two blue eyes, baby faces, whatever you want to call them, um, competitive sort of wrestling, but nice rolls, flips, speedy kind of thing. Um, I remember that vividly. Uh, the second match on was Pat Roach. Uh, versus Ray Steele. Um, this is where it all sort of went south for me because I did, uh, these were big boys, you know what I mean? These were sort of 18, 19 stone men. Um, and to me watching that, uh, it was like, you know, I, I was an eight-year-old kid and I thought they they were beating the piss out of each other. That's, that's what I thought. And it scared me and I, was, I started crying. And after that match, it was the interval and I just wanted to go home, you know? I, I couldn't watch any more of this brutality sort of thing. Um, but my granddad who took me insisted, you know, he'd paid for me to get in. So I think it was like £2.50 or something then to get in, £3, something like that. Um, he insisted I stayed. Uh, so I did. Uh, during the interval, he bought me a uh, Big Daddy scarf um, and a picture signed by Big Daddy. And that was sort of like a bribe, and and I stayed. I think I really it was staying for him because he he was enjoying it just as much as I was. Um, I'll t- I'm sure I'll tell you on another podcast or at some point about a time in Blackpool when he took me wrestling. That, would, that I don't think he was enjoying that one quite as much. But uh, I'll tell you that about uh, tell you about that one another time. Um, so the interval happened directly after the interval was a tag match. And the first two wrestlers were Lucky Gordon and um, Scrubber Daly that came to the ring. A regular tag team, both from the Midlands. Uh, Lucky Gordon, uh, Irish originally, but lived in Birmingham. Um, Scrubber Daly, now a very good friend of mine. Um, I have huge respect for him. Um, a, a really nice man who's, who's just been so lovely to me. Um, but back then, as an eight-year-old kid, he was a horrible, red, long-haired, you know, big beard, 20-plus stone, horrible villain. The next people to the ring were potentially the people that, drew, well, one of them, certainly, who drew me into wrestling, and, and I've been hooked ever since. So since April of 1987, uh... Greg Valentine, not the hammer that we know of, of WWF fame, but um, one of the Crabtree family. I think it was like Max or Brian's kid or something. Um, but 
the nephew of Big Daddy um, and Big Daddy himself. The reason... A lot of people say Big Daddy was a terrible wrestler. Um, but then again, Hulk Hogan was a terrible wrestler, I think. But he put bums on seats and you can't fault him for that. So when this man walked into the building, everybody's eyes was on him. Everybody was tapping. Everybody running up to him to touch him. Everybody wanted to be a part of the, the, the Big Daddy bandwagon, if you know what I mean. And that really hooked me. He had the, the whole crowd, and there was a lot of people in that building. You know, I suppose there always was back then. It was, it was you know, big on television, on the ITV back then. Um, that this man had everybody in the palm of his hand. And it's that sort of emotion that drew me into wrestling more than anything else, more than the, you know, the... the the sporting side of things it was the entertainment side of things and one man that you know you can't fault in any way for being an entertainer is big daddy so that was the tag and then after that was steve logan and uh rex king was the last match on um so a lot of connections happened later on in my life from this first show that I went to see you know the fact that I'd wrestled in that building since that day you know obviously when I, when I got into wrestling some 11 odd years later um, I ran a show there as well which did really well hugely expensive but it did really well um, as well as wrestling on shows for Glondike Jake and uh, Ian McGregor um, the first match was Danny Collins and Kid McCoy I'd wrestled Danny Collins, also in Worcester in the same town, venue further up the road though. Um, the fact that uh, it was the one that drew me in, you know, it was the show that really proved to me that this is what I wanted to do and it's been, there's been no other way ever since. It's all I've ever wanted to do ever since, it's all I've ever th thought about, you know, and I've been truly lucky. The fact that I've had a chance to do it. Um, and the, the last match with Steve Logan, not your older Steve Logan from London, who used to tag with Mick McManus, but a young lad from Birmingham, um, who now runs K-Star, a sort of Thai boxing kind of gym and things. But at one point he ran a wrestling gym and he aided my training very early on. Um, not very often, I mean, John Brown was the main trainer at the time, but we'll talk about more about that as we go on a bit later on. But, you know, the fact that Steve Lowe, it was his gym that I went to to learn very early on. Um, so there's a lot of connections from that day. Um, so that was a very big day for me in April of 1987. Um, I still have the little cutting from the newspaper, which is pretty cool. Um, and... On one of the Facebook pages where they put the, you know, programs and posters and things of whatever happened on this day, I noticed the uh, the program from, I think it was last year I saw it, so that was really cool with the results and everything. So it was nice to to look and I've saved that. Uh, from there, I was hooked. Anything wrestling, I was on. You know, I was on it. I was I was buying it. I was begging my mum for it. Probably whatever I could. Uh, there wasn't a great deal of live wrestling around the area where I lived. I lived in Worcester. Don't want a great deal, really. Once a year with the Crabtrees, I know they were there the following year in April of 88, um, with a very similar kind of bill with Big Daddy, but this time it was Giant A-Stacks and, uh, and Scrubber on the opposite side. Um, I went to one in Droitwich, there was a, a, a new theatre that opened in the early 90s, well a new theatre, it was a sort of a revamped theatre uh, that opened in the early 90s that I know Brian Dixon ran one there and uh, uh, Neil Evans ran one there and I think there was somebody else as well, I can't think who. A couple of other groups came in and out, you know, um, Johnny England had a little company called the AWA 
which I think was the American Wrestling Association or Alliance or something, um, with a lot of sort of uh, bodybuilder types that I think Johnny England found in gyms and convinced him it was a good idea to wrestle. Um, he came in there a couple of times into the leisure centre where, where I saw the first one. Um, but on holiday, on the holiday, holiday, holiday parks and stuff, wherever I went on holiday, I'd sniff out a bit of wrestling, be it on the holiday park or if it were. We went to Burnham-on-Sea quite a lot on holiday at the holiday park there. Um, it used to be Holly Marine and then it became a haven or something or park resorts or whatever. But we went there a lot, which wasn't far from Western Supermare and they had wrestling. I think it was Oreg Williams ran the wrestling there. The uh, Winter Gardens in Western Supermare. Uh, if I was on holiday in Blackpool, we were at Ponting, so there was wrestling there. And then there was wrestling in the town, several shows in Blackpool Town at the time. Um, I'll tell you the story about my granddad now, actually, while we're in Blackpool. It was one of those um, Johnny England shows that was on a place called the Sandcastle in Blackpool on the seafront. And uh, it's very American, you know, not your typical British wrestling show. You know, we're more Americanized come this point. We're sort of towards the mid-90s, maybe 93, 94, or say. So, you know, American wrestling was big on the TV, on Sky. So, um, you know, it was a very Americanized show. Everybody had, you know, glitz and glamour and flashing lights and loud music and everything. And me being me, sat right at the front, uh, cheering my little heart out to um, whoever was on. I turned to my right, granddad's well asleep. <laughs> so uh, I think from that April of 1987 to, you know, 92, 93, whatever it was in Blackpool, his opinion of wrestling might have changed a little bit, either that or I brainwashed him that much that I felt, you know, he fell, he fell asleep. But um, as far as I was concerned, then, really, sort of 87, 88 time, there was... British wrestling, which I saw that night at the Perdizor Leisure Centre in Worcester, um, and what was on ITV on a Saturday. And then there was American wrestling, which you got on Sky, which we didn't have because we didn't have the money for it, um, or that was occasionally shown as part of the ITV show, you know, in the big arenas with no rounds and, you know, sort of... At the time, we thought there was no rules either, and... Well, I suppose that's the case, really. Now there's no rules at all, is there? Um, so there was British wrestling and there was American wrestling. There was nothing in between. Um, WWF, E as it now is, I suppose. WWF was the American thing. W uh, and what was on TV was the British thing. There was nothing else, you know. As far as I was concerned, there wasn't a, you know, a, a selection of promoters or anything like that. There was a British wrestling and American wrestling, and that was solid in the head. Um, after British wrestling came off television in December of 88 when it came off ITV um, I noticed a late night wrestling show a WWF one um, very late night it was like Tuesday or Wednesday nights or something like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning it was a different time every week so I used to go into uh, the local news agents on the day that it was on not buy the newspaper, just have a look in the TV pages just to see what time wrestling was on so I can set my video player um, to record the show and then I'll get up super early. I never got up for nothing. Nothing and nobody got me out of bed. But I got up extra early um, because it, I was that addicted and it was the only thing that would get me out of bed. Um, I got up extra early the day, you know, the day after it was on to watch it before I went to school. Um, then, so so that was like wrestling challenge, like a syndicated show. Uh, it was wrestling challenge, but it was it was made specifically for the British audience. Um, occasionally we had an Australian version. Uh, no, it wasn't wrestling challenge. Yeah, it was wrestling challenge. You're right. Um, it was wrestling challenge. Um, but they, you know, Mean Gene and, and Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, if it was the Australian one, it was, hello, welcome to Australian Challenge. And they'll convince you, you know, they'll try and convince you that they were actually in Australia. Um, but when it was the British version, they were like, British Challenge. 
in the end it became international challenge. I think it just saved him a job that it was one international thing. But even Lord Alfred Hayes was known as uh, Judo Al Hayes for the British ones because that was his name when he was wrestling here. Um, so it was such addictive, addictive viewing. I mean, the matches weren't major main event kind of matches. You weren't, you sort of Hogan and Savage types, not very often anyway. Um, they'll have sort of TV main events and the TV main events will still be, you know, Blue Blazer against Barry Horowitz, which is fantastic match, don't get me wrong, but as far as a main event goes at that time, they really were, you know, it really wasn't, but it drew me in and, and, I, and I was hooked on that. It, it was must-see television. I didn't watch a great deal of television back then. Don't have a, a you know, a great, you know, memory of, of shows that I was passionate about or addicted to, except this wrestling challenge thing that was on stupid o'clock at night. I tell you, it was on just after the American Top 40 or something, because I used to set me video that little bit early and that little bit late, just in case they got it wrong on the television guide. And, uh, you know, I was hooked. And then once, so every every week I'd go into the, uh, to the news agents just up the road, top of the road from where I lived, to check the TV guide. And this one week, instead of saying WWF wrestling like it did every week, it said NWA wrestling. Now, I had no idea what NWA wrestling was. Um, I just thought it was a spelling mistake. I thought they must have just got it wrong. You know, I don't know what NWA is. They must have just got it wrong because it's always WWF wrestling. Every week's the same. Listed the same. Um, you know, it's just, just a spelling mistake. Um, I taped it as standard. And the next morning, I didn't get Lord Alfred Hayes and Mean Gene. I got Jim Ross and Paulie Dangerously. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about Jim Ross at a later point, but um, I, I didn't have a clue who these people were or what it was all about. This show was in a, like a TV studio. It wasn't a massive arena like I was used to with the American wrestling. You know, I didn't even know there was another type of American wrestling. Um, and, I, and I remember vividly the first match that I ever saw of the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, was Arn Anderson against uh, Great Muta, which was a totally different style. You know, the, the only sort of Japanese wrestler I'd ever seen really was like Tiger Chung Lee or, you know, the odd uh, Mr. Fuji match on, on Challenge, you know, when he was forced into wrestling or whatever. Uh, hang on a sec, just having a drink. So, yeah. Um, so total different world the ring was different the audience was different the commentary was different um, nothing like I'd ever seen before and that opened a door for me to, to, to you know it told me that there was far more than just your British wrestling and your American wrestling there was others as well uh, and, that, and that got me really intrigued and, you know, I wanted to do more research and, and find more of these wrestling shows that were about. Um, of course, that's before the internet or anything else like that, so it's really difficult to do back then. Um, but my brother worked at WH Smith, the, um, you know, the, the, you know, stationery and news agent kind of place. Uh, not in the shop, but in the uh, magazine office where they used to distribute the magazines all over the country. Um, and I remember I was just going to bed one evening and he came home. Uh, I, no, he wasn't living with us at the time. He was He's a lot older. He's 17 years older than me. Uh, he just sort of visited me, mum or whatever. And he brought me this magazine. It was called Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And I remember the cover vividly. had, uh, you know, Lex Luger doing his sort of muscle pose in his sort of, uh, yellow trunks. And uh, he brought me this magazine, said, you like wrestling? And he just sort of thrusted this magazine at me. And that was the next sort of learning curve in my in my um, becoming a res wrestling historian kind of thing. Because that taught me, that one magazine, uh, you know, bear in mind that Pro Wrestling Illustrated has been out for every, every month since, I don't know when, the 70s, is it? Um that in these results, they had a results page 
with all these other promotions. They had a, a rankings page with all these other promotions and all these other names. They had news articles about, you know, wrestlers that I'd never seen before. I remember my brother flicking through going, who's that? Pointing at a picture. And I remember it now so vividly that it was, uh, he pointed at one and it was Harley Race. And it was when he, you know, he had the, the uh, it was in the NWA back then. It was an older picture of him with the NWA belt. And I was like, I have no idea. I, you know, I don't know who it is. But, I, you know, now I remember it crystal clear. Um, such an education that magazine became. And it's yet another thing that got me hooked. So that was the, you know, we'd gone from British wrestling to the WWF to the NWA. And then late nights became a real mishmash of wrestling promotions from there on in, to be fair. Um, but I was just happy to see any wrestling and, and happy that I was opening myself to new avenues of wrestling and finding out that there was way more to this wrestling world than just the mainstream kind of thing. We had uh, ICW, which was run by the Savoldi. No, I, yeah, it was ICW, ran by the Savoldi's. Uh, I think it was out of New Jersey. And they had, uh, you know, the Sheep Herders who became the Bushwhackers. They had Kevin Sullivan, uh, Buddy Rose. I've still got tapes of it that, that I've got, you know, remember recorded at the time. Um, uh, Jumping Joseph Aldi was not Owen Sterry, the, the British, the, you know, the Welsh guy. But, you know, the guy from New Jersey. I think it was him and his father that ran it. Could have been his... Yeah, I'm sure it was his father that ran it out of New Jersey. Um, Kevin uh, Kevin Sullivan, Mark Lewin was on it. Uh, Austin Idol, I remember being on it. Um, but that was like a, a yet yeah, another sort of avenue of wrestling. It was like a dark, smoky, more cheaply ran. Obviously, it was a smaller promotion, just a more far more regional than the the WWF. I mean, the WWF was national. The NWA was national to a degree back then, but not as much as the WWF was. But this ICW of the Savoldis was very um, very regional. It was just kind of New Jersey, really, and it, it was the, you know, like dark, smoky, just a little you know the one lamp over the ring kind of thing. Um, more very story orientated uh from there i think we had uh the global wrestling alliance which was the malenko's boris malenko's uh dean and joe's dad um and that had some some people that became big names like uh gangrel was on there uh bob cook um norman smiley uh, the Malenkos themselves, Rusty Brooks, Jumbo Beretta, um, uh, Dr. Red Roberts had like this talk show. Um, I remember a tag team called Death Row, uh, two big sort of, um, two big prison kind of guys uh, meant to have escaped this prison uh, to come and wrestle there. And uh, I remember them beating up who I thought was someone out of the crowd. Oh, obviously, you know, it's not, but that that made me think, whoa, got to be careful when you go to this wrestling. Uh, we also had on television uh, a very, a, a couple, only a couple of episodes of uh, Jackie Palo show um, and, and so many other little gems of wrestling, just r proper randomness. You know, you just didn't know what you were going to get. It was just, even the TV guy just said wrestling. You know, there was no initials before it, no promotion name. It was just wrestling. Um, I was intrigued. Everyone, you know, I didn't like, you know, there was no good and bad wrestling. There was just wrestling. Um, I, I, you know, it was the untrained eye, the uneducated eye. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I'm trained or educated now, but, you know, I know what I like. Uh, it, my biggest love of wrestling now has become those regional territory kind of shows in America um, I have huge love for the British wrestling, the British style, the old ITV, the world of sports stuff love that, but as far as the American stuff goes, it's the territories 
um, especially the Southern American territories. Um, and my, you know, I've got a huge video and, and DVD collection, probably, you know, I'd say about 4,000 all in shows from all over the world. Um, not just your mainstream stuff, just random nonsense. I mean, I, I love wrestling. I love watching any kind of wrestling, good or bad, because I think there's always something to be taken away, even if it's rotten, you know, you can still take away, yep, that's rotten, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, I learned a lot about the southern wrestling territories from going to Kentucky. Um, I'm not going to talk about my time wrestling in America because I want to do that at a later point once you know, you know I'm going to try and do my life in a bit of a timeline sort of thing um, there was a question sent to me about wrestling in America from my friend Ash Cody uh, we'll go into that at a later date but when I was in Kentucky wrestling I was educated on Smoky Mountain wrestling which totally changed my life you know i'd seen bits but there was bits of the bigger shows um you know like the not pay-per-views because they weren't pay-per-views but the big sort of spectacular kind of blow-off kind of shows um but to watch their tv which i did for the first time when i was in kentucky uh brainwashed me totally you know it was totally a different thing than i've ever seen before it was people that i'd seen before it was, uh, you know, Jim Cornette, a manager that I'd seen before, but not in that environment, not in the Smoky Mountain environment. And that opened my eyes to something new, and it was something that I've not let go since the shows that I run now. I run very much in the Smoky Mountain style, both in the style of wrestling, the fact that often on the Smoky Mountain house shows there was four matches, five at the most, um which were kind of unheard of for an American show, really. Uh, pretty standard for a British one. But back then, when there was rounds, you know, each match was 25, 30 minutes. So, you know, that was a standard thing. But for an American show, it very much wasn't. Uh, but I think it's nice to give, especially when you get someone that can work, to give people a longer time to get in there and do what they love doing um so yeah that that really opened my eyes and i'll, I'll talk about smoky mountain at a later date and and, and you know I'll, maybe i'll do a whole show about it really but that was that that that's how i sort of discovered wrestling um i spoke about my video collection my very first video was given to me uh my granddad used to pick me up from school twice a week and I got in his car and he, he'd just been somewhere and he handed me this video and I pulled it out of the uh, bag that he had and it was the Mick McManus World of Wrestling. Um, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, love it. Still got it now, I can see it from here actually on my shelf. Um, it's uh, always five matches on there. It's, it's one of the greatest hours of wrestling that you're ever going to get on a video. Um, my friend Lee Candidan, Lee Bamba, uh, hosted it with Mick McManus. Uh, he's told me later that he couldn't actually speak on the night of the uh, recording. Um, they were going to do the commentary straight onto tape sort of thing, but they had to sort of edit it out because he was so ill that he couldn't speak. So he had to go to a studio with Mick McManus and do it at a later date. Like, But um, every, t every time there's an on-air picture of of mick and lee together they're um lee's just nodding you know in approval of whatever mick's saying uh which is uh a nice little bit of insight from the uh, man that was there on it so very cool i've also got the um you know the bill and the script and things that uh, uh, lee has sent me so it's very cool to have um lee canderton very good mc by the way if you need one or a referee Find him on Facebook, Lee Canderton's Lee Bamba is his, uh, his in-ring name. Fabulous man. Um, yeah, so that changed my life there. That changed my life. You know, another part of, of my wrestling historian 
that, that from that time when that video was handed over, I needed more videos. You know, I needed to see more wrestling. Um, I'm still the same now. I, I, you know, I, if there's anything old wrestling-wise that I can get my hands on, <coughs> excuse me, you know, I, I will. I love it. Um, so as far as me getting into wrestling goes, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I'd done the fan thing for such a long time, for probably 10 years, to the point that, you know, when I was older, I used to go on my own or with my girlfriend at the time and we'd, we'd trot off to various parts of the country, jump on a train somewhere and we used to go to Bristol every month to watch shows at the Colston Hall. Um, fabulous. Some really good bills that Brian Dixon of All Star Wrestling had on there. Um, I got a job at Butlins in 1997 in Minehead and um, there was wrestling every week that Brian Dixon brought in and it was the same four wrestlers every week well I say four it was three uh, and I, I, I wasn't too sure for sure that it was not kosher you know part of me thought you know, especially after crying at uh, Pat Roach and Ray Steele, and then I was watching, you know, uh, Death Row beating up punters out of the crowd. You know, it all seemed very real to me. Um, and I hate the word fake or fixed or phony or whatever you want to call it, but a, a little more predetermined. I was, I was unsure. You know, everybody told me it was, but. I'd always sort of defended that. And it only dawned on me the fact that it, I think it was Tuesdays there was wrestling at, at Minehead every week. And every Tuesday was the same show with the same finishes. And I used to think, why didn't you learn not to do that last week when you wrestled this geezer? You know, it all clicked into place from there. Even now, no one's told me for sure, but I twigged then, and uh, a lot of people's dreams may have been shattered at that point, but for me, it was a little bit of a um, uh, a relief kind of thing, and and I was almost I was more pleased that yep. Yeah, after seeing the Big Daddy thing and falling in love with the entertainment side of things. I knew for sure that it was what I wanted to do in some capacity, maybe not as a wrestler because, you know, I'm not at all sporty, never have been. Uh, but I'd like to be involved in some way. So when I came back home after working at Butlins, I didn't quite know how I was going to get involved in wrestling, but I was still travelling around the country and I went to a show of a guy called Mad Eli Collins who lived in Bath one of those with a bit of an up and down reputation but he was alright to me to be fair um, and I said that wrestling hasn't been to Worcester for a while and, and it hadn't been uh, it was in a bit of a, a sort of maybe a bit of a down period kind of thing uh, wrestling in general it was just before the Attitude Era kind of thing. Well, no, was it? Just after the Attitude Era. It, it was midway between some kind of boom periods. I mean, 99, 2000, it boomed real good. 2000 on there was good for me, at least. Uh, but a couple of years before that, we were in 98 now, uh, we're talking. So it was in a bit of a slope, I believe. So I said, you know, I was talking to Mad Eli and I said about wrestling not being there. He said, well, why don't you bring it there? I was like, well, what do you mean? How, how can I do that? He said, you know, we'll bring a show. You pay me X amount. You bring a show. And, uh, you know, get yourself a venue and you take the door. And I was in. You know, that, that uh, I did it. And thinking back now for the shite that I had on, 
uh, I was robbed, <laughs> but live and learn, don't you? Um, but that was my, you know, I was re- I was I was promoting wrestling before I did anything else, you know. And we did all right, to be fair. I was robbed, yeah, I was. There was no doubt about that. I mean, Eli fucking stung me on it, but it was. Not a, not a loss, you know, I, I, I didn't run at a loss. It was there or thereabouts, you know, a break even on the first one, which I was, you know, I was all right with um, because I'd had a chance to be part of the wrestling world. Um, you know, it, it got me, again, a little bit of education. Um, Lewis Blaine, who is a very dear friend of mine now, was possibly the only one that I still communicate with uh, from those days. Uh, certainly of that, not of those days, but certainly of that group of Eli's misfits. Um, Lewis Bain, probably the, the most clued up of them all. I mean, there was some fucking rottens, that, you know, horrible human beings that were on that show. But, yeah, I, I was still a little bit, kind. you know, I was... Kind, I know I was paying the wages, but I was still a bit intimidated by these people. I thought they were, you know, these wrestling superstars. Uh, how naive was I? But I did it again. In you know, we do. I had another show off of Eli a couple of months later. This time was in Malvern, uh, and this time I emceed it. I was the ring announcer, as the Yanks call it, in it, but I, I emceed it, and that was that was actually my first kind of in the ring thing that I did. Uh, no, it wasn't. I, t- t- I totally tell a lie. The first in the ring thing I ever did was um, as a referee in uh, Northfield for Carl Conroy. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah, you know, I knew Carl. Uh, from I don't know where from I don't know where we'd met to be fair uh, I still know Carl he's a good guy Carl is um, but he had me as a referee for one of his shows and there was uh, I remember Doug Williams and Flash Barker and uh, Alex Shane Shaq Khan uh, Johnny Storm you know there's quite a few guys on that one you know, guys of, of, of a big, you know, relatively big name uh, in Northfield in Birmingham. But the first thing I did, as far as for myself goes, was the MCing on my second show. Um, and from there, I decided that, you know, even then I knew on that second show, we had Blondie Barrett and Johnny Kidd, which was something that I asked Eli for. Um because I'd love watching them, you know. That they they've always been two of my favourite people to watch, um, and two of my favourite people in wrestling, really. So I asked Eli for those two, and he did come up with the goods. Good on him. Um, but other than that, again, it was, a, it was probably a fucking terrible show. Um, I do have it on video, and I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it was really good to have have, have, have Blondie Barrett and uh, Johnny Kidd on. Um, huge respect for those two who have wrestled each other 487,000 times and every one of them that I've seen is, is hugely entertaining. Um, two very skilled people and uh, if you get a chance to see them anywhere you do it because um, it's not just a pleasure to watch but it's an education from my point of view I've wrestled both of them and I've tagged with both of them and it's it's so easy and it's it's just a it's, it's a dream um, so to have those on at that point uh, I knew they were great then but I was again the untrained uneducated eye so from from you know for me now, all these years, twenty years later, um, you know they're, they're even better now. If you know what I mean. Um, 
other, other than those two though, probably a load of shite. Uh, but you live and learn. Um, and from there, I just that was that was the point that I decided, you know, if some of these boys that Eli's brought me are managing to wrestle, then surely I've got a crack at this. Um, and other than Lewis Blaine, again, who was a referee on that night, he, he wasn't wrestling, not sure why, I don't know whether he was hurt or something. Um, other than Lewis Blaine, uh, Leroy Brown was on it, who was, who was a fabulous wrestler, to be fair. Um, not wrestling anymore, I don't think, anyway. But fabulous wrestler, very funny man. Um, other than Lewis, Blondie and Johnny, none of those on that show are wrestling anymore. Um, and they were only young'uns. So that says to me that they either weren't that dedicated or no frocker or book them. Um, and I'd probably go for the second one. Uh, so I decided at that point that I was going to get involved in wrestling. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so I was put in touch with Steve Logan, who um, had already rang me previously because he knew that I was putting a show on. Um, and, and somehow saw the poster or whatever and gave me a call just to wish me well and I thought that's really nice I remember getting home and my girlfriend was there and she said oh uh, someone's called for you Steve Logan and I was like never you know like this wrestling celebrity was rigging me at my house um, but I spoke to him on the phone lovely uh, we didn't really speak much about wrestling training or anything because it wasn't in my head at that point but he wished me well with the show good luck and everything and any help or advice that he needed I needed just to give him a shout and I thought that was very very cool of him and uh, you know I've always had a lot of respect for Steve ever since still going strong with his uh, Thai gym in uh, he's got one in Perry Bar and then one in the town centre in Birmingham if that's your thing he, run, he puts on uh, you know tie boxing events and stuff as well so if that's your thing check it out k-star wrestling uh k-star not wrestling k-star uh gyms uh so yeah I, I was put in touch with steve again this time for training and that's how, how that all started 1998 was where I, I i sort of pursued the wrestling uh bug and and did it for uh or tried to do it for real you know tried to actually do the wrestling thing i'd done the referee and i'd done the promoting i'd done the mc in uh tried to sell a few tickets sold a few programs for brian dixon uh put a bit put bits of rings up so now it's time to do the uh actual wrestling and we'll talk more from this sort of 1998 period on the next one, if we're allowed to do another one, um, or if there's any interest in this one, I might have bored you to tears. You could all be asleep now. You probably not even listened this far. We're well, 43 minutes in. Um, it's gone real quick, that to be fair. But uh, that takes me, Johnny Rose, the wrestling fan, up to 1998, uh, which is the point that I dipped my toe in the actual wrestling waters. Um, Looking at some of the questions that I've got here, like I said, I'm only going to answer just a few of them. Uh, my friend Ash Cody's mentioned going to America, which we'll talk about at a later date. Uh, Scott Conway asks, whose fitness regime, regime do I use? Uh, no doubt it's Les Dawson, that one. Nigel Hammore has asked, who's number one in your eyes of professional wrestling? Well, there's only me. There's only one number one. And it's me, Mr. Number One, Johnny Rose. Thanks for the question, Nigel. Um, most painful injury I've had. This one's come from David Clark. Most painful injury uh, is when I broke my ankle in 2002. Totally my fault. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, really. Green as grass still. Um, I was drop kicked. I went one way, my foot went the other. Um, and... No, terrible pain. Um, 
Favourite manager come from Tom Farley. It's a toss-up between Bobby the Brain Enon and Jim Cornette for two different reasons, really. I mean, they're both tremendous talkers, uh, but they managed in very different styles. I mean, Bobby Heenan was a lot calmer in his in his managerial style. Um, Jim Cornette was very vocal at ringside, way more than Bobby Heenan, but Bobby Heenan seemed to have more sort of calm, subtle movements. Um, I can't pick one out of those two. It's very impossible to do. Um, and I think most people of 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 my ilk, my my sort of watching wrestling of that period would say the same. It would definitely be one of those two. Um, Josh Smith has asked about training. We'll cover that, let's say, next week at the next one as we go from 1998 onwards for me. Um, my friend Bully Boy Carter, Paul McCartney, he's asked, um, the greatest match I've seen as a fan I've seen so many great ones for so many reasons. Um, one of the greatest I've ever seen came from, uh, I think it was Carolina Championship Wrestling. Um, it was George South. It was a massive influence. Another question that he's asked is is big influence, big influences, you know, my biggest influences. Um, George South is one of them. Uh, George South against um, Brad Armstrong. The, the, the match was so simple, yet so smooth, crisp, very easy things to do, yet timed to perfection. You know, everything they did was so, so good. No wasted motion. Um, just just beautiful wrestling. Um, and they knew exactly when to get the crowd up, when to get them back down. Um, so, so... That's definitely up there, George South against um, Brad Armstrong. There is some of it on YouTube. They're not actually actually the match itself, but um, it's part of like a video package kind of thing. It's uh, very, very good. Um, it's for the EWA um, World Championship that George had at the time, and Brad Armstrong won that night. A fabulous match. If you can uh, check it out on YouTube, the, the the music video is just fabulous. Um, one more question. We're at 47 minutes. I've done real well, I think, for my first one. Um, one thing that isn't as crisp as Brad Armstrong and George South is me talking, but thanks for joining us, no matter where you're joining me. Um, how are you listening? Thank you very much. Uh, for doing so, one more question. Let's have a pick. Let's have a look. I mean, I've got a fair few to choose from. Let's just cross off what I've done. Um, Richard Cole says, Who from the TV days would I like to wrestle? Um, unfortunately, uh, I can't, I, you know, we've lost Drew McDonald. He was always somebody that I wanted to wrestle. Um, I actually booked myself against Drew McDonald on a show that I ran in 2009 and then for whatever reason and I really can't think why but for whatever reason I took myself out of that particular match and put myself on with Danny Boy Collins which was again fine, you know great learning curve massive learning curve um, but you know I had my chance and I, you know, I didn't take it and I'm devastated about that but he was certainly top of the list I'd love to have wrestled Rob Brookside, Rob Brookside um, who, who is in America now doing his NXT training for the you know WWE crowd um, good on him there um, I really would have enjoyed wrestling him um, to be fair there's there's good and bad they're not, they're not all, a lot of these, I managed to tick a box last year um, when I was booked to wrestle Scrubber Daily, um, who, you know, going back to that, you know, early on we spoke about April of 1987 when I, I watched the Big Daddy tag match and Scrubber Daily was there. Um, yeah. So, so that that was a massive box ticked, you know. I, I can't do the Big Daddy tag, but I can wrestle somebody that was in that Big Daddy tag, 
and uh, it may not have been a five-star classic but it was a uh, it was certainly ticking a box and living a dream and i can't thank uh scrubber daily enough for looking after me that day uh we wrestled each other in sirencester and uh, i really enjoyed it um that's me really for today uh me first dipping me toes in the water of the podcast world um it's been nigh on an hour of me just rambling total shite here but i really thank you for joining me um give me a chance to uh have a chat to you my voice isn't the strongest uh terrible cold right sniffs uh max has been good the dog sat next to me um next week when we do this again i'm going to do a little uh video review you know like, do you remember coliseum video the wbf videos used to have but they're not all going to be coliseum videos but on the whole they're going to be mainstream ones because obviously you know the harder they are to get hold of the the least chance you're going to have a watch you know but next week i'm going to review uh one that i was talking to my friend bully boy carter about last week uh he was watching uh the raw dvd box set thing you know of the 93 94s raws um and i mentioned this this is called monday night raw prime cuts uh the video is called and uh it's i love it i do but it's been many years since i've watched it so i'm going to watch it again and uh i'm going to talk about it next week and and, and let you know how i think about it now you know as a, as an old um angry bitter man rather than the kid i was when i first watched it let's have a look so i had this new and on it what, what years on it i can't even see what years on it let me move into the light 1993 this came out so i've not really watched it and, and, and studied it really since 1993 so i'm going to watch it this week and then we'll talk about it uh monday night raw prime cuts raw and uncut if you like hard hitting body slamming non-stop world wrestling federation action it doesn't get any rawer than this uh some of the matches on here macho man versus the repo man uh brutus the barber beefcake oh fuck's sake um see i already don't like it because i have to sit through that twat but he's on with uh ted dibiase that might help uh the nasty boys versus the edge shrinkers the steiner brothers versus the beverly brothers crush versus lex luger and lots more amazing non-stop wrestling action it's an hour no it's uh 120 minutes long two hours uh so i'm going to have a look at that this week and then I'm going to tell you what I think about it next week. Uh, we're also going to talk about um, me from 1998. A little bit further on. Not for too long. I don't want to talk about me all the time. Um, any questions you've got you want me to answer? I've still got a ton from this week that I'll work my way through as well. Um, any questions you've got, give me a shout. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't, no, fuck it. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, thank you. I'll speak to you all again this time next week. Take care all.